My name is AC Fisher, and with me, as always, is my co-host Jason Moore. Joining us is Victoria Cure. I hope I got that right. You did. Good job. Um, Victoria, welcome to the show. And can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you both gentlemen for having me. I am a advocate for special needs families and survivors of not only domestic violence, but just abuse in general. I help let everybody see their inner light and bring it back because it never fades out. As a survivor myself and a special needs person myself and a special needs parent, I, I get the lowest of the low. I get how you feel um, when you have no support. I went through what I did with no support. I was a single mom for 14 years and my daughter has had 34 surgeries. She is my rock. She is amazing. Um, she overcame every obstacle that was put in front of her. And so what I do is I advocate for those that may not know resources um, that are available to them. I also teach life skill classes, offer free support groups, fee social classes so that kids, especially when this whole pandemic of COVID is happening, everybody is so homebound and, and that is actually making the numbers of domestic violence go up. So we have social classes so people can come in and we are a safe haven. It is a bully-free, judgment-free place where you're welcome with open arms. You're welcome to our family. There is no judgment. It's just unconditional acceptance. That is fantastic. So I know like I've talked to quite a few people that are abuse survivors. <laughs> and I mean, Jason and I have both been touched by uh, abuse as well. So we understand the value in needing to figure out like how to pick up your pieces and move on. But I mean, a lot of the people, in fact, most of the people I talk to, their idea of moving on involves a lot of looking back and not a whole lot of moving forward. Mm -hmm. That does happen. What, what, you know, what made you take sort of a different approach to moving on? Well, I was at that low prior to me being in the abusive marriage, I was top of my game. I was in the corporate world. I had everything going for me, except I wanted a family. And mm. my charming characteristic monster came in, learned what I was weak about and strived it. And he put me into the Mach 1 status of let's hurry up and get in a relationship and get engaged. And I'm like, yo, hey. And then every time I was like, something's not right. He would make me feel like crap. He would make me feel like why am I being so shallow and self-centered? He would tell me these horrific stories of things that happened to him. And, you know, we've waited long enough. There was always a story. Well, after my daughter was born, I literally felt like she can't have that mom that jumps at every noise, that is afraid to, you know, even be alone in a, in a room because she's afraid somebody's going to come in. And what is that noise? And, and it, you know, it, it, you can't look somebody in the eye and they're always looking down and, and she fought so hard. And so how can I not give her that back? How can I not be the mom she deserves as well? And I had a lot of influence by my grandparents. And I always had that old school mentality that you have that unconditional love. And I knew that I've had it once before, not with my abusive ex, but I have it again. And I wanted her to have that. I mean, why fight so hard if you're not going to enjoy life? We get one life. And we need to live it. We need to enjoy it. Um, and so we fought and we've gotten to where we are now. Beat all the obstacles. I was told I had a 2% chance of survival. And I said, it's better than one. Let's go. And here we are. 
Fantastic. So I, I've heard it said in the past, you know, like trauma is trauma, pain is pain. You know, like Jason and I have talked at length about that. That being said, there is a, a tendency with people that have overcome something really hard where there's a little bit of scorekeeping that slips into the mindset where, you know, so-and-so didn't have it as bad as me or so-and-so had it worse than me. So now I'm ashamed to tell my story. Do you struggle at all when you hear tales of abuse from, from other survivors where it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're labeling that as abuse after what I've been through. Or is it more inclusive in your default mindset? To be honest with you, I I speak uh, uh, with a lot of survivors, male and female, because they're both victims, and I encourage them to bring their family. And I really like it when they bring the ones that are not supportive, because I bring it to fruition what they're doing wrong. And I let them see that by just some simple things that I say that really put it to the forefront. And I always say, I don't care if it's one hit, one slap, one kick, one punch, it's one too many. And it's Mm. not okay. I don't care. You never, ever put your hands on anyone and that the cycle needs to stop and it needs to stop here. I mean, you know, they say a lot of times that you continue on the abuse. I've never hit my child not once. She will tell you I've never raised my voice to my child. You can come across and correct behavior without doing that. And I've done it. And she is phenomenal. And you just to me, abuse is abuse. You know, I mean, I don't go up and be like, I have 100 surgeries. What are you complaining about? Are you serious? No, (laughs) they are the ones that are going through it. Everybody's journey is different. And so I embrace everyone and just try to help them find who they were before, but a better version. Hmm. It's very similar to our philosophy of each individual's trauma is the worst trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. it's so difficult for me to come up with with meaningful questions for you just because having experienced abuse when you start talking about even in the most vague terms about your experience it does resonate on a very personal level for me I don't like approaching a conversation where I feel like my end of things becomes all about me. But I I, I think like when you're talking about something that is deeply personal and deeply painful, Mm -hmm. that's kind of an unavoidable struggle. Now, that being said, to take the spotlight off of me and put it back on you. Thanks. When, when you're when you're engaged in these conversations, you're hearing these stories from these the, these people that are hurt and in the moment at least are, are are feeling damaged, if not actually damaged. How do you put yourself sort of to the side, or do you put yourself to the side? I listen to them intently because it's about them, and they need to know they're not alone. They need to know they're not the only ones who've gone through it. That. There is someone who understands. And I and I say it to the families a lot, and it's a great metaphor. If you have, God forbid, a brain tumor, are you going to go to a podiatrist to fix it? No, because they don't know what they're talking about. 
So do I have a, a degree in psychology or psychiatry? No, I've taken plenty of classes to help, but I also have a doctorate in the, in the life of hard knocks. I, I tell people I can't instruct you or tell you what to do. I can kind of tell you what I've done and I can listen, which is so incredibly valuable because I had no one when I went through it. And I wish I had someone that would just listen and say, I get it because anybody can read a book. Anybody can read a book, take a test and they get it to a degree, but they don't get it because they haven't walked in our shoes. So it's a totally different concept. So what a lot of people do is, is they go and, and counseling is, is an absolute must. I could have gotten anywhere if I didn't have my amazing, amazing therapist uh, to help me through this. But you have to listen and just be quiet. Let them talk. And if they don't want to talk, just sit there with them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know that in that period of time that they are trusting you, that they are safe because they are in a place of safety, no judgment. They're not being degraded. They're not being humiliated. They're not look, being looked down upon. They are safe. And that means more than anything. And when these other people in their life say, well, why didn't you leave? Well, why did you allow them to do it? You know, one of the main things that I wish we could get more across to people today is that it doesn't matter. I can tell you for a fact that you can do everything verbatim that your abuser or attacker want you to do. Everything. and all it takes is somebody cutting them off on the way home, having a bad day at work, not getting something that you wanted, getting bad news, somebody, whatever the case may be, whatever that is, they're still going to come home and take out their aggression on their victim. doesn't matter. You could be doing everything to the letter and they will still come home and take it out on you. They portray something different in the, in the eye of others because that way, when they go around and tell everybody that, I don't know why she's doing that or she's clumsy. I was supposedly the most clumsiest person ever during my pregnancy because I was always black eyes, broken nose, dislocated shoulder, whatever the issue was that day. And he made it out. It was my fault. And what's really horrible for men and women that are going through the abuse is that we take the pressure off of the abuser and we put it on the, on the victim at that time. We make them prove that what they're saying is true. And we just let the abuser say on the sideline mm -hmm. and we don't hold them accountable. And that's not right. That's not right. And for the women that say, you know, I'm not worth it. He tells me all the time, I'm never going to have anybody else. When you hear something every single day, it becomes part of your life. It becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of you and, and your definition. So you begin to believe it. I was told I was never going to get anybody else. I was so unattractive. I was ugly. I was this, I was that, no matter what it was. And you begin to believe it. Well, I always tell people, if you don't think you're worth it, are your kids worth it to you? Are your children worth it to you? Because if they're hitting you, at some point, they're going to go and do it to the kids. Now, take, for instance, if you have a daughter, are you going to allow her to see that it is okay for your boyfriend, your husband, whomever the male is, to treat a woman that way, because in our kids' eyes, we're their role models. So you're allowing your child to see that it's okay to treat mommy that way. It's okay to treat a woman that way. Right. If you have a son, you're teaching him that it's okay to treat a woman that way, or vice versa, if it's a male being assaulted. You're teaching your children that this is the appropriate behavior that's acceptable for themselves down the road. And that is not okay. And this is what I'm desperately trying to get out 
so that the cycle does stop because everybody is worth it. And I think we need to hold much more accountability on the abuser and take it off of the spotlight off of the victim because we're going through enough as it is. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate how you specifically and deliberately include males into the victim category because a lot of people don't realize that that that, that does happen. It does. It does. It absolutely does. I, I actually did um, an interview with someone who it was very hard for, for me. And I'm, I, I think I'm pretty open and I'm pretty easy to talk to. But when I said that men can get abused, he looked at me and said, are you nuts? Men can't get abused. I mean, I'm this big guy. You're telling me some little girl can come over and abuse. Absolutely. They can. Are you kidding? And he was adamant that I didn't know what I was talking about, but it, it, men can absolutely be abused. I've seen it. I've talked to men that have been abused. I have someone coming on my, um, my show who my heart just melted for. I just thought the world of him. He was um, homosexual. Mm-hmm. Okay. My theory is I don't care if you're black, you're white, you're brown. I don't care if you're gay, you're straight. Now y'all have to forgive me and your listeners have to forgive me. I have yet to learn what all the pronouns are. So sorry, <laughs> but they're like he, she, she, him, he, her, they, them. I think I got them all. I think I covered it. Uh, I'm still learning that process, but I don't care who you're with. I don't care who you're in a relationship with as long as they treat you the way you deserve to be treated. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter who you love. It matters that you're treated with the same respect that you give, period. Are you enjoying In the Blood? Support the show by clicking the subscribe button and follow us on social media. This guy was, or is, because he's still here, is just unbelievably sweet, unbelievably intelligent. But he was attacked not only because he was homosexual, but also by his partner. And everybody put the blame on the victim. And I said, that's crazy. That just makes me so angry because why don't they ever spotlight the abuser? And they don't. They put it on the victim. We have to prove our word because it's a he said, she said. And my case, it was not a he said, she said. I had medical uh, documentation. I had pictures that coincided with the medical documentation that, you know, reiterated the injuries that transpired. I had sworn affidavits. I had doctors. PAs and nurses that did sworn affidavits. And I had a wire. I wore a wire. And it was over 17 hours of him just confessing to everything. So that's, you know, the difference is not a he said, she said. And I own up to what I did. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Um, But it just irritates me that society today can say men can't get abused. It's like, I'm pretty sure we're all in the same age here. But when we were in school, we didn't worry about somebody coming into school and having a Columbine situation. We didn't worry about going to school and, you know, worrying that these people were going to start acting this way. These are our kids we grew up with. We went and played dodgeball. We stayed outside until the streetlights came on. And now you have to worry about sending your kid to school and if they're going to come home. I mean, this is partly because they're growing up in an abusive situation and they're not getting the help. And it's being such an attack on the victim that it's even making it harder. And that's what I'm trying to do is to help bring light and knowledge to the situation. Which, which also makes it harder for people to understand that it in essence is a trap. Yes. 
they don't understand. They can't relate and say, well, you know, I've been through this, so I understand where you're coming from. And in my opinion, most people don't even try. It's just automatic. Oh, what did you do? What did you right. do to deserve it then? Right. It's a trap. Most of the time, they're convinced that there is no way out right. with the berating, with the nobody's going to love you. So where are you going to go anyways? Even your parents don't talk to you. So what's, what do you think is going to happen? Right. It's absolutely pathetic how our right. society puts victims in a box mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the box that's broken inside the abuser and fixing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and if I'm going to be honest, um, up until a few years ago, I had always been one of those people that had thought too, like you're looking at women, especially in this situation. Oh, why don't you just pack up and leave? Why do you put up with this crap? You got kids to think about. Mm-hmm. And then I met the woman who, you know, is now my, my life partner. And saw firsthand, like, what kind of abuse she was enduring with her ex and seeing that like, yeah, th- there was no option to leave because her abuser had convinced a- anybody who might have been her support system that the problem was her right down to like when the cops would come, the guy would put on the charm. Oh no, no, no. You know, she's got mental issues. It's well-documented, yeah. but I mean, and, and, I'm, and I've learned since then, her story is fairly typical, where it's like you've been battered down, you've been dismantled on such a core level, you start questioning yourself. So when the abuser says to you, hey, you're messed up in the head, you need to go get psychologically evaluated, you go and volunteer for that. Well, now there's one more weapon in his, his or her arsenal to say, look, yes. I'm not a bad person. See, they're mental. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing I'd really like anybody listening to understand is, you know what? We we get so used to giving the abuser the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Why not give at least as much of a benefit of the doubt to the potential victim? Maybe the person who's asking for help is completely full of shit. Is it going to cost you anything? to pretend that maybe they've got a serious story to tell and that maybe their concerns are valid. I've got Is it one. so important to protect a potential abuser that you will step past the needs of somebody who is legitimately in distress. Help right. them. Absolutely. I've got one for the both of you to, to contemplate for a second. So I kept going. Uh, my ex was military. And I kept going to his platoon and saying, he's going to kill us. And they turned a blind eye, which I have learned is very common in the military. Now I have to put a disclosure out that I know not everybody in the military is bad. I get it. I got it. I know that. I just got the really crappy end of my platoon with my, well, my ex platoon. So I kept saying it keeps happening. And they said, why do you have all this evidence? Well, because you're not doing anything and it keeps happening. So here's one that'll just blow your mind. I come up to them. I'm in June, July, and I'm wearing turtlenecks. And I go up and said, what would you do if you heard again that he did this? He grabbed concrete. Supposedly it's a military saying, okay, well, I kind of pulled down a little bit. 
and you could see now if you imagine I'm, I'm partially paralyzed on my left hand so i can't i can't do it but if you imagine it you could see thumb marks here and all finger marks here and we have photographs of it he strangled me and when he did you could see his thumbprints and you could see all of his fingers and when i showed them that they actually said to me why would you strangle yourself what? As a, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. As a, first of all, take your own fingers and put them on your throat. And where's my thumb? You can't strangle yourself. His, his thumbs were very clearly here and here. And I have the photographs. And you could see the fingerprints back here. How do you strangle? You cannot physically strangle yourself. It's physically impossible. And I said, how does that happen? And I said, here are reports from my OBGYN who were civilians who saw him hit me in the office. They were like, they called us, you know, what did you do? And one in three military families, there's abuse. If those are the numbers that are reported, what are the real numbers? What are the real numbers? Because I went to the advocacy team in the military. I went to them and said, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill my unborn child. I went all the way up the command and they said, oh, we heard about, a soldier's wife getting this. And I understand it's not all military. I get it. It was a small military town. I get it. But I turned around and I said, I went to the advocacy team. And they said, well, who'd you talk to? And I said her name. And they said, I, I don't know if you really went. I pulled out her business card, which I still have today. I'm methodical about keeping everything. I pulled out her business card and I said, here's her name and here's her personal cell phone number. How would I get this card if she didn't give it to me? How would I have her writing and her phone number if she didn't give it to me? How would I know what transitional compensation is if she didn't tell me about it? I never got it, but how would I know? And they just turned a blind up. It was just, you know, all on me to continue to prove and prove and prove. And they kept covering up. And that's not uncommon at all. People in uniform cover up. And it's not just military. It's law enforcement. It's fire department. It's, you know, whoever are being abusive, get it covered up. They have each other's back. Where are the people supporting the victims? Who has our back? Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't even think, yeah, it's, I don't even think this is limited to like uniform. It's just anytime you've got a group of people that is absolutely got their own kind of clan, this tends to be the, the, the way. And I have to say, like we were chatting before we started recording about how close Jason and I are. I know that if my wife reached out to him and said I was beating the hell out of her, he'd be the first person I had to deal with. He wouldn't cover up for me, and I would never cover up for him either. If his wife called me, you know what? I'm disgusted that a person that I love would do that. And right. if he's innocent, he can sort that out with the authorities. Right. But I'm going to, going to err on the side of caution and make sure that his wife, who is tiny, and it doesn't really matter which is tiny. I mean, the fact is nobody deserves to get beat on. And if there's a chance that's happening, well, I'm sorry, Jay, maybe your feelings are hurt, but I need to make sure that her safety is a priority, not your feelings. Absolutely. And, and again, that's another challenge I like to put out to anybody who's listening, men, women, anything else. I don't care. Your loyalty to the people that are close to you should never, ever supersede the safety of another indiv individual. Absolutely. 
so, so, so far, this conversation has been very different than any we've had before on this show, which, I mean, it's not a bad thing. This is just real world relationship stuff. It's not always a case of, you know, we had some social difficulties between my, my Aunt Judy and I. Sometimes relationships are ugly experiences, yes. which is a gross understatement. But still whether you're the you want to label yourself as a victim a survivor or just you know like victoria you're still left in your headspace with your experience to move forward regardless what's happened to you near you or around you it's still you who's got to pick up those bags and walk that's right mm -hmm. and i don't think that you know like a lot of people will get hung up in the idea well that's not fair. Why do I have to deal with all this stuff? I wasn't asking for this. It just happens to me. And then they want to sit down in the heap and crumple. I mean, what do you say to people in that situation? And to, to, to be clear, I, I do understand that that is a fair mindset to find yourself in. Absolutely. Normally it starts out with the, the courting phase where they are unbelievably charismatic. They're charming. They're sweet. And I, and I, said this from the get-go that I was never physically attracted to him. And I'm not saying that now because I'm bitter or whatever. It's just, he wasn't physically attractive in my mind, but he had so much charisma and so much character. And he was like, I know how bad you want a family. I know you want to be a mom. I love kids. I live for kids. You know, we, my whole family fostered kids growing up. And, and then to me, that's what drew me was that, and, you know, I'm not a shallow person. that's like, you got to look like this, 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 this. And I totally fell for that. And then when you do, then they get you and then they start to like pull you in. And then it's a very rapid courting phase. And then they want to hurry up and make you theirs. But what happens in that courting phase that makes you feel so alive is that they brag about you. They are so happy that they have you. They show you up. You're almost like a trophy girlfriend where they're like, look at her accomplishments. She's done this. She's done that. She's this, there's that. And then it's, We've been so unhappy long enough. It's time for us to move on. We need to get married. We need to live together because neither one of us have had what we have now ever before. And once you get there and then the isolation begins, everything becomes humiliating. Like, you know, what do you think you've done? You haven't done anything. You know, look at everything I've done. It's always about them. And anything ever happens, it's your fault. And it, they blame you. And then they're like, I'm so sorry. I did that. It'll never happen again. I had that day, whatever. And that's what happens, but they come across this very charming, charismatic way and they wait until they have you where you're trapped and then they start to isolate you and they start to, you know, really control you. Mine was incredibly controlled to the point where I had him make me call him from my office because I had call, you know, he'd have caller ID and he'd know I'm in my work and I couldn't go anywhere where my ex worked because my ex was a police officer and he wanted to make sure he hated him. He met him. He hated him. He wanted to make sure I wasn't anywhere where he was and say I had to go to the store. I had to show him the receipt to show him that's where I was. And he knew how long it would be that it would take me to get there and get back. And I had no one to go to. And the abuse didn't start until I got pregnant. Well, we got pregnant very quickly. And so when I ended up going to court, because I took everybody on, I, I went after everybody when this happened after um, my daughter was born. I was in the a hospital with her for months and I never left her side. And my ex, who was the officer, went with me to court. And 
I, I wish that I had had a way to, to show the, the look. You've never seen two men hate each other more than those two. And he absolutely, my, my abuser hated him. And when he saw him beside me, it was just like a huge flare up. Like he just was beyond livid. And, you know, I've had people say, well, what are you going to do if he hears this now? Well, he hears it now. And guess what? He openly admitted that he was afraid of me to come at me if I wasn't pregnant because he knew I wouldn't take it. He also hated him. And I would say, well, I hope he knows that he and I are married and he adopted my daughter. So there is a happy ending. And so now we both use our platform to try to help others. Thank you for listening to In the Blood. Please remember to like, follow, and share. So I have a question, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, it, it's a two-part question. Sure. One is, in your opinion, because you're very familiar with this, how do you differentiate the... Because there are people out there who do false flags, you know, that do the, that claim they're abuse victims for the clout, so to speak. Yeah. And on the abuser's side, how do you think we can start fixing what's broken inside the abuser? Because I don't believe they intended to be bad people, but like the military, 90% of our soldiers come home broken. Mm-hmm. Mine and, never went overseas, which was the uh, unbelievable part. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean overseas. By being right. exposed to that toxic masculinity and being a part of that military-industrial complex, right. most times something breaks. Right. I, I, I see what you're saying. The first question you had, uh, it, it's pretty simple. When you talk to somebody, like the therapist that I've had uh, – I've had for 12 years now, she will tell you that I can tell you the same story a hundred times. And there's not one sentence different. There's not one word different because when you're telling the truth, you don't have to recall anything. It's just natural. It just comes out when you're talking with someone that isn't necessarily telling the truth and maybe be, Oh, well, we had an argument. So I'm going to, you know, play wolf, you know, call wolf out. Then you can tell, you can tell by mannerisms, you can tell by body language, um, they have a tendency where they don't look at you. They'll, you know, they don't want to make eye contact with you. They do the body language that says that they're not really being truthful. Um, a lot of times you can listen to them and then go back a few minutes later and ask them something so minute about the situation. They can't recall it, but a true victim can recall it because that was a detrimental part of their life that we were living in hell. We were, well, we weren't living. We were surviving in hell. We were trapped and suffocated in an environment that we couldn't find a way out of. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone who's just doing it for the attention or whatever reason, I feel bad for them because they need help. And there's some reason why they're doing it. I feel bad for the person they're accusing. If you know, without a doubt that it's not true, I feel bad for who they're putting on the burner and and making the accusation against, but you could say something like he beat me so bad last night because I I didn't do the dishes. Okay. Well then you ask a, you know, a question later on after you just let him talk and talk and talk and talk. And you say, 
well, why, why, what made him so angry that he lost his temper? And you make it about him and then he comes out, oh, well, because I interrupted his game. Oh, because I can tell you every time that I didn't have dinner ready at a certain time, I got messed up. She said it was about the dishes. Now it's about a game and you can tell, well, what happened? You know, what, what happened? What did he do? Did you seek medical attention? Because sometimes you have no choice but to seek medical attention. And you, there's just questions where you learn when someone is, is saying it for the, the reasons of getting assistance and, and help or if somebody is just blowing smoke. And what I believe is I don't think anybody would ever want me on a jury trial because I, I, I am a cut and dry person. Um, if there is no questionable doubt that you abuse someone, whether it's, like I said, one hit, two hits, whatever the case may be, they need to be held accountable for their actions. And they also need to be in therapy. They need to start getting treatment. And a lot of time the abusers don't believe they need treatment because they're, they're too good for it. They don't need it. But I think it should be mandatory because that can start to help figuring out what that process is, what is going on, because none of us are qualified to say, this is what triggered all of it. This is what made it come to fruition. So I believe that they need to be held accountable for what they did to another person, number one. And number two, that they have to get mandated testing. They have to get support. They need to get guidance, counseling, therapy, anger management. Find some glitch that's going to work to find out the problem and start to help develop a solution. Yeah, it's one of those things I've, I've caught a bit of heat for um, over the last couple of years, you know, talking to people. I mean, it, it's more related to like family issues and more like um, emo emotional abuse, which is, is still abuse. Absolutely. So I don't want to like, I don't want to like devalue anybody's abuse experience, but I think that there's a, a, a danger a lot of the time in looking at the abuse of people as though they are inherent monsters because when they hurt and I can't speak for, for everybody, this is just, you know, like a, a generalized statement when somebody hurts me, it's not because they woke up and decided, you know what? I think I'm going to treat AC like shit today. Right. They were hurt first. They're not inflicting pain necessarily so much as sharing pain is the right. way I look at it. So I kind of like what you're saying about making sure that these people, they, they get the support they obviously need. They're, they're held accountable. Yes. There are consequences, yes, but there also needs to be help. Right. Because without that help, I mean, you're punishing a victim in a different way. Absolutely. I believe. Absolutely. It's the bullying concept, AJ, uh, AC, sorry. Um, it, it's the bullying concept because I tell a lot of the special needs kids that I talk with that, you know, I know you go to school and you get and you're a bully and things like that. And, and I said, you know what? go up and try to be nice to the bully because the bully is hurting and he's taking it out on everyone else. That's why he's acting the way that he is. And it could be because he's at home witnessing daddy beating up mommy or mommy hitting daddy or whatever the case may be. Maybe he is getting hit, you know, and he comes to school and he knows he can't express that aggression at home because he's going to get hurt. So he goes to school and does it. So go up to him and just 
kind of sit at a distance and say, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, you want to talk or depending on the age, of course, you're not going to do it at elementary level, but to, to be able just to say, you know, what what is happening? What's going on? You know, do you need to talk to somebody? You have no idea what's going on in their heads. And, and, and it's so sad because everything is so overlooked and they're not helping get to the root of the problem so that we can fix this. Yeah. And you don't know whose bully is the bully's bully. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're getting towards the um, tail end. towards the, ta- <laughs> the tail end of our conversation here together, which I don't like because I feel like we could spend a lot of time unpacking this subject matter. But at some point, I mean, this is the way every conversation goes. It does come to the end. I've heard, or we we've heard about how you have picked up your broken pieces, literally patched yourself together mm-hmm. and moved on. We've heard about what kept you in the situation for as long as you were, how you got into the situation what I'm really curious about now, I mean, and I don't want to leave this unexplored is when you look back at yourself in the midst of this, Mm -hmm. do you feel any degree of resentment or self blame? Is there anything that you would tell yourself to do differently that would have any meaning if you had the ability? Um, AC, to be honest with you, all of us blame ourselves at some point or another. We, all of the victims who have become survivors, blame ourselves. I've had a lot of people give me a lot of crap about some of the choices I made. I give him permission to go outside of our marriage because, and what people don't get when I say that is I told him go out because he was going out and cheating on me anyway. Well, if you're not home, you're not beating me and my unborn child. So yeah, I did give him permission and people look at me, why, why would you do that? Well, he's also not out hurting anybody because he's in that courting period. He's trying to find his next. So, you know, and I hate to say that because I'm not trying to hurt anybody else, but at that point I was in flight or fight mode. And so I was trying to, you know, survive me and my daughter. So that was an issue. Um, I, I did try to leave once before and our dog was shot and killed to show what he would do if I did actually leave. So I knew that this was going to be a process. Um, I wish I had put my call. You know, they always say that you have that one call out. And my one call was to my friend who's now my husband, the officer. I wish I had made it earlier. I was humiliated by what I had gone through. I went through that. I'm never going to be that bad or wife. Never would I let someone do that. You can't say that. You don't know until you get into that situation. You, you just don't know. But I fought. And that child is my daughter. It's never been his kid. Uh, excuse my French. I don't mean to um, insult any of your listeners, but two pugs in a push don't make you a dad. And so I've told her from inception that the only person who would ever be her dad is now her dad. And so everybody is different. Everybody copes with it differently. I, I really believed he was going to take mine and my child's life. I believe that it would be at his hands. I used to lay there at times and beg him just to, you know, let me go because I couldn't handle it anymore. And then I would feel 
her kicking me. And then I realized that I, I can't be selfish. I got to get up and fight for the both of us. So it, it's a long process. It took me 10 years to publish my book, um, which is my memoir. And it took me forever because I, I just didn't want to put it out there out of fear and humiliation. But now I realize he doesn't have that kind of power. He doesn't have that power to control me. He doesn't have that power to, to hold over me. He's not, he's not worth that. So um, it's just a really hard challenge. And I wish that there were more resources out there. I wish that more people would take the side of the victim, even long enough just to see that it's true. Make your, you know, find out and then make your decision. And if you find out, like Jay had said, that somebody is lying, okay. But when you find out, like with me, that I had hardcore proof and you still turn your back, shame on you. You're just as guilty as the person doing it. You know, you're not helping. How would you feel if that was your daughter or your wife or your mom? So, you know, I, I just feel like maybe if I'd done this, maybe if I'd done that, you could do the what ifs all day, but it'll drive you insane. So you kind of have to just let that go at some point. Congratulations to you. Thank you. 100%. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Jason, before we close out, is there anything you'd like to add or anything you'd like to follow up on? Um, I'd just like to make a shout out there to our listeners and just remind you that abuse isn't always a strike of the hand. It also starts with a strike of the tongue. So if you hear this, make sure you contact somebody in your community or somebody that you can trust and do something to help the person that you see that's in crisis. Thank you. Okay, and Victoria, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, what's the best way to go about that? Uh, on Facebook, we have a Contagious Smile support group. It is private, so if you put an invitation, understand it. People who are going through it have no problem with it. I vet them to make sure they're who they say they are because I'm very protective of those that I'm helping. So it's just some questions you have to answer. I have uh, our website, a contagioussmile.com that has resources, that has life skill classes, that has free support groups, free, free social groups. Um, I also help do the legal documentations that they desperately need. My podcasts are A Contagious Smile, and my book is Who Kicked First, and it's a memoir on um, Amazon. Oh, fantastic. Well, Victoria, thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer, for, both so much. For- yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like to thank people specifically, but there's just so much that I'm grateful to you for. Thank you. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to do what you have done and what you are doing. There's thank so you. much value in the resource that you're providing. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. That means a lot. Really Victoria, from me, I would like to say, and I know this may sound unusual because not a lot of people will say it but thank you for going through what you went through being the strong person that you are now and giving back and taking from that horrible time and turning into something amazing thank you. viewers make sure you catch a contagious smile thank you guys so much i look forward to having you guys on my show absolutely anytime uh, watch it i'm gonna get it <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay, you so thank much. you everybody for listening and um, yeah.